Christmas, Galind bought me a genetic testing kit. Now, I was very pleased with this because although I was pretty sure there is quite a lot of British Isles in me, I was quite curious about which specific regions of those cool, damp islands my ancestors hailed from. And I was shocked by the results. Not the UK part, as expected. I was substantially British, 97% in fact. (laughs) It's the other 3% that forced me to sit down and take some deep breaths. This 3% explains why I feel so much at home in northern New Jersey and why I take so naturally to lasagna. Three percent Italian. (laughs) Did I hear an amen from some of you? Uh, I put it down to the invasion of Britain by Julius Caesar in 55 BC. Now, the other 97% should endow me with certain skills and passions that give me a head start in some of life's most challenging tasks. One is making tea, and the other is gardening. Uh, You'll be relieved to know that my tea is quite drinkable, and if you ask nicely, I'll prove it. But then there's gardening. (laughs) And like a Norwegian who is awful at winter sports, or an Aussie who can't get the barbecue to light, or a Brazilian who never quite got the hang of soccer, or an Italian who is closed off emotionally, (laughs) or an Irish person who can never think of anything to say... I am an Englishman whose presence in a garden has healthy plants quaking with fear. In a moment of surprising judgment, God asked me to steward a few square yards of his good earth in Pennsylvania. If God were able to have regrets, then this decision would be right up there with that whole thing about giving mankind free will. My annual crop of dandelions was the talk of the neighbourhood. But this morning I'm feeling quite chipper. Uh, And that's because the other day uh, I tried to find out what a weed actually is. And to my joy I discovered it's up to you. A weed is whatever you think it is. So, according to the Chicago Tribune, quote, a weed can be characterised as any specimen that a gardener feels is unwelcome and annoying. (laughs) A gardening website defined a weed as any plant that grows where it's not wanted. So, if I decide that the clover in my front lawn is really pretty with its peaceful purple petals in glorious contrast to the brilliant glamour of the dandelions as they proudly grow side by side, then I can. (laughs) When the land you care for is your living, then you can't afford to be so cavalier. (laughs) 
To the farmer, it does matter what a weed is, and if it's depriving your crop of nutrients, then it has to go. Welcome to the metaphors of Jesus. A world of shepherds and sheep, water and wine, farmers and fish, sowers and seeds. In John's Gospel, Jesus makes eight vivid yet shocking statements about himself. The eight I am statements. We read one last week, I am the good shepherd. And we've read another just now, I am the vine. When he takes a knife to you, it hurts. When the blade slices through your limbs, you bleed. You would scream if you could, but you can't. A voice is one more thing that God has denied you. And so you stand broken, butchered, savaged. Your attachments lie scattered around you, victims of the pruning. There's that relationship... You know it was doing you no good. You understand it was stunting your growth. You're aware it was making you bitter, small-minded, petty, resentful. But it gave you some solace on cold evenings, some comfort when lonely, some false sense of security. Then there's that object of beauty, that trinket of desire... How you saved for it, sacrificed for it, denied yourself for it, just to possess it for a while, to breathe in its aroma, to caress its beauty, to wallow in its luxury. You know it was getting uppity, forgetting who was in charge, losing sight of what it was and where it came from. Truth be told, it was starting to possess you instead of the other way around. Beginning to be your master, not your servant. Your creator, not your creature. Your God, not his gift. Instead of it being your object, you were becoming its subject. It needed to go to set you free to be the person God made you. And there... Scattered around this valley of brokenness, randomly littering the hillside, lie your health, your freedom, your mobility, your financial independence, your vigour, your youth, your unrealistic dreams, your opportunities. Once, seems like yesterday, they were thriving, thrusting up and out, bearing fruit, bringing joy to you and to those who tasted your vintage. Now you survey their bodies strewn across the vineyard. Yes, to everything there is a season, but you had hoped that summer would last forever. You know all things decay and eventually die. And as you understand that you had to let them go in order to embrace new growth, the fresh harvest, the blessing of fruitfulness. But when he takes the knife to you, it hurts. He knows what he's doing, this vine grower, this butcher, this surgeon. Of course he does. He's been doing this with his vines for centuries. And the results are spectacular. He knows how to make the fruit big, the foliage small, the vintage sweet. You see, 
He planted us with a purpose that we bear much fruit. It's not for our sakes that we were lovingly cultivated, adoringly pruned and joyously threshed. It was for his sake and for the good of others. Our job in the vineyard is to serve, to look outwards, to be of use in growing the owner's vision for this world. You see, it's possible to suffer from runaway growth. Our lives can become unruly. We can grow a mess of shoots and leaves sprawling all over the place. Easy on the eye, pretty even, but not what we were made for. Our calling is to be simpler than that. To have the life-giving sap flow into the fruit and not the leaves. Cutting back the greenery will produce a healthier plant and a better crop. In God's vineyard, leafy, showy branches are not the point. It's not about our possessions, our careers, our hobbies, even our relationships. Those things are usually beautiful, but sometimes they get in the way of what is truly important and rob the fruit of its growth. What God is interested in is fruit. The beautiful fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I know it hurts. I know it wounds. I know the scars can take years to heal, but sometimes to grow into spiritual maturity, we need the knife to lop off some of our foliage so that the grapes can flourish. Succumbing to the vine grower's knife, painful though it is, is always worth it in the long run. I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone remains in me, they will bear much fruit. There's a lot of abiding in this teaching from Jesus. Abide in me as I abide in you. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As I look out over St. Paul's this morning, I see people who have abided in the vine. This morning, you are proving it just by turning up to worship the vine grower. You have been through much. You know the pain of loss, the sting of goodbyes, the ache of longing. You have heard the snip of the shears and you've winced at their pain. But you have proven the truth of these teachings from Jesus. You have remained in the vine and he has remained in you. You've not allowed those prunings to extinguish your flame, to drive you from God, to wreck your faith. Instead, you have endured the shears and now you have a story to tell. Of God's faithfulness, of Christ's sustaining strength, of the life of maturity you could not have entered without the pruning. You had an alternative 
You could have let go of God. You could have done what many others do and assumed that if you were suffering, then God had stopped loving you, had broken his promise to you, or simply did not exist. But you remained in Christ, and now you have a story to tell others of the God who lifts you when you fall, who carries you when you can't go on, who fills you up when you have nothing more to give. Like Miriam, a woman who recently wrote an article on a website I visited last week. Her story made me both anxious because I am a church leader, but also joyful because it convinced me further that even when we waver, God will not let go. She writes, It's time for me to be completely honest. My family has not been attending church regularly. After 13 years, we decided we needed a break from our church, and our church needed a break from us. Over a year later, I'm ready for us to return. Back in my day, there were no choices about going to church. Being forced as a child caused me to rebel and not go regularly for many years until we found our parish 14 years ago. We were drawn in by the focus on outreach and the large quantities of kids and families. Finally, I thought, a church I want to attend and no one is making me go. It didn't take long for our priests to get me involved in church life. Within a couple of years, I was regularly working in the nursery and joined the choir. Then I was elected to the vestry, followed my girls through ten years of Sunday school as an instructor, helped with VBS, edited the church's newsletter and read lessons in church. My husband was treasurer, finance committee chair. You get the idea. And don't get me started on how involved our oldest daughter was in the church and diocesan youth programs. Now you may be thinking, what's the problem? This all sounds great, and it's what God would want for you. A solid faith community full of great people, a good priest, and excellent music. What could go wrong? What did go wrong? After 13 years, I felt over-involved and also strangely disconnected. The girls began grumbling on Sunday mornings. They felt displaced. I had to agree with them. All of us felt tired and used. I wanted a separation, and my family agreed. We went ahead and became those folks who only attend church on Christmas and Easter, with a random Sunday thrown in now and again. The last few weeks has led me to an incredible realisation. I had deprived my girls of a faith community David and I are adults and we can make our own decisions no matter how smart or stupid but the girls are still young enough to need guidance and I started to feel that I had failed them perhaps the strong arm tactics of my parents who gave us no opportunity to say no was the right way to go after all I can't imagine my mum wanting to go to church every week and yet she did maybe I should learn to trust in my chosen faith community. I do still feel good about my decision to take a break, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I hear a voice calling me back to church. Could it be my Facebook churchgoers gently urging me to return? Is it my non-Facebook parishioners who sent me cards saying they will miss me? 
Or maybe, maybe it's God in all of those voices. Maybe this whole process has been spirit-led and the spirit is now leading me back to church. I pray that wherever you are in your relationship with God in community, that you are at peace. I'm not, and I plan to fix that. He is the vine. You are the branches. Don't resist the pruning. Don't cut yourself off, but abide in him. Amen.